Good morning. Welcome home, family. It's so great to see everyone here with us, worshiping with us this morning. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in praise. Give myself some more room. Well, welcome again. We are going to start a new series today going through the book of First Thessalonians. And then, after that, we'll go through Second Thessalonians. So, one of the ways uh, we like to just stay on the same page together or just provide a resource for people is, is uh, uh, we provide these uh, journals, scripture journals that you can write in and take notes. And so we, uh, we ask $5 for each one of them. That's what we pay for it. We're not making money off that, but actually we're probably losing some money, but that's fine. But if, even if you can't do that, if you want to take one, you can take one. I don't, no one watches if you want to take one. So, um, I mean, there's cameras, but I don't think they record. So, uh, so you grab one of those if you want to. It's a great resource. I, I always like, uh, it's how I prepare, start preparing my sermons is reading through and this and taking notes. And so uh, you can do that. All right. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Therefore, I thank you so much for this day in which we can gather as your people and sing songs to you. Pray to you knowing that you hear us. Open up your word and learn about you and how you've worked throughout history and how you've moved in our own lives. Lord, I just pray for this time as we seek to know you more, as we seek to understand how you've saved us, as we seek to understand what it means to be your people, that you bring to life your word, that it comes to life in our own hearts, in our own minds, in our own understanding, that you show us what we need to see, that you teach us what we need to be taught, that you grow us in the ways in which we need to mature. Lord, we love you. We want to be your people. I pray for this time as we open up your word that distractions can be laid aside, that the worries of this upcoming week can maybe fade into the background. I pray for everyone here, whatever is going on in their lives, those who go and find a lasting hope, a true comfort. Lord, we love you and seek you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the biggest questions everyone, but particularly believers, have to come to grips with is this idea of, is God truly real or is he hypothetical? I say that because so many people can kind of believe in the idea of God or even come to church and know the truth of who God is, but they live their life like he's more hypothetical than anything. It's a good idea. They can play a lip service to what they believe, but it's really just a hypothetical kind of thing. It's away from them, distant. Maybe it's a fire assurance policy for what might happen in the future, but it's more just out there than rather being real. Because when we come to grips that, hey, what we read in the Bible is true, and this God portrayed to us and delivered to us through the Word is true, it changes us. Because you have to now start ordering your life. You have to kind of organize your life around this truth because you can't do anything else. And so that's one of the biggest questions we as Christians have to wrestle with when we start reading the Word. Is this God they talk about? That was going through my mind as we're looking at this new uh, book that we're going to start through, 1 Thessalonians, is a letter from Paul, and he's writing with the belief that this God that these people in Thessalonica b believed in, this God is true. And so we have to ask ourselves, is that us? Do we actually believe in what is being written? And if so, how 
does that impact our lives today? So let's dive into this book, and we're going to read the first chapter together today, uh, these 10 verses, and start seeing what is being said to us through this book. So it starts, Paul, Silvanius, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and the labor of love and the steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. We know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Acacia, but your faith in God has gone, gone forth everywhere, so that we, not need, so we need not say anything. For they sometimes report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who deliver us from the wrath to come. So what do we take from this first chapter in this letter that Paul wrote? And I was struck by this concept, and I think that's what Paul was saying, is that you let your faith sound forth. When he's, when he's talking about the faith of these Thessalonians, he's really kind of issuing a challenge for all believers. When you read it nowadays, this challenge or encouragement that we should be living out our faith. That he's pointing back to these people and he's saying, everyone knows your believers. Everyone's seen your faith in action. Everyone's seen how the word is going forth from your church in that town. But now we read this and we should be challenged by it that we should have our faith be known to people around us. Let your faith sound forth. This concept is so easy that we can kind of twist it and think that our faith is a private thing. But of God, but it's not private. It should always be something people see in your life because it's fundamental to who you are. So when you read this first chapter, I can't help but issue a challenge for every believer who reads this. Let your faith sound forth. It should echo through wherever you go that people should see it in your life. So Paul is writing this letter to these Christians in Thessalonica, these Thessalonians. I'm going to start sounding like a lisping, I think, when I keep on saying Thessalonians so often. But this is probably Paul's second letter. It's written during his second missionary journey. He, uh, he, he's probably writing from the city of Corinth. And we kind of see the story of how this church sprung into being when you read Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17 uh, kind of shows how Paul is traveling on a second missionary journey. He's going through, he has, this, he has this vision of this Macedonian man crying out for Christ. And so he says, hey, we're going over to Macedonia. And so they quickly go into Macedonia. They go to Thessalonica, which is the, the Roman capital of this providence. 
It's this large city, like roughly probably 100,000 people lived there, had a Jewish component, and so they went and preached in the synagogue. People were believing. He apparently preached outside of the synagogue, and riots was going to be overthrown by the gospel. And so they had to flee. Paul and Silas and Timothy fled from this town, and they went to Berea, and then they went further, and they ended up in Corinth. And, went, and Paul kind of travels by himself and sends Timothy and Silas back through Macedonia, and they meet back up in Corinth. And so this letter is written because Timothy and Silas come and meet Paul in Corinth, and they relay to him what is going on in this town that he helped plant the church in. And so now Paul hears about their faith, and he's writing a letter back to them to strengthen them. You almost get the sense that maybe they didn't even get the whole thing that Paul wanted to say because he was driven out of town by the rights. And so he wanted to make sure they knew the truth of who Jesus was. He wanted to make sure they were grounded in faith. And so he's writing this letter back to them to strengthen them, to encourage them, to make sure they are letting their faith sound forth as they are doing. And he starts by recognizing and celebrating what he's heard going on in their life. He's celebrating. He's saying, now, hey, when we remember you in our prayers, which we always do, we give thanks. Why? Because we hear that God is at work. We hear that you're changed. I can't help it. We are not to celebrate sometimes. That as Christians, we should be very a celebratory people. When people come to know Christ, when they are progressing in their faith, when we hear those testimonies, we should celebrate. We should praise God that he's at work, that lives are being changed, that people are, are being transformed into the image of the Son. We should be celebrating with one another. Too often, sometimes we view what hasn't happened or the shortcomings we still have or shortcomings someone else has. And we can get down on each other but how we should focus more on what God is doing and these, celebrate these things that he has done in people's lives, that we celebrate a changed life. And how does he celebrate this changed life? How does he view this changed life? He's, he's talking, he talks about how remembering before our God and Father your work of faith. It's interesting that he combines this work of faith, because faith is not a work. Faith is a belief, a trust in who God is. Faith in reality is like coming before God with an empty hand, saying, I bring nothing to the table, but I trust in you, and we're saved through that. By grace, through our faith, God saves us. And so he calls it a work of faith. Why? Because when we truly have that faith that does not depend on who we are or what we've done, but we love, we start living out what we believe. It starts producing fruit in our life. It's the difference between the root and the fruit of a plant. That the root is that faith. It's grounded in who God is and what Christ has done for us and how he saved us. But naturally, once we're grounded in Christ, we naturally start producing fruit. We start actually living like he's called us to live. But this change like life is not just a work of faith. It's actually called a labor of love. In your labor of, of, of love. And it's funny, these two words, work and labor, we kind of use them interchangeably, but they're different words here. And this labor is really pointing to some intense toil. And if you ever love someone, you know loving someone is hard work. It can be. 
Some people are harder to love than others. But he's really pointing at this, like, loving people. You actually have loved people. You've labored in that. You're so changed that you're actually not just looking at people and what you get from them, but actually laboring for them with love for them so that they know Christ as well. Not only that, but he describes this changed life as this steadfastness of hope. Another way you could say that is an endurance inspired by hope. That these Thessalonians were steadfast a hope that pulled them forward. This hope that kind of keeps you going through rough patches or hardships because you trust in what was to come. So my whole life has almost seemed to be, when I was a kid and when I grew older, uh, my dad always wanted me to cycle with him, do road bikes, and I always would get into it and get out of it, and I was never really passionate about it, but he made me do some really long bike rides in my time, and one of them is you go up on 71, uh, you know, you go you know, from like over Mountainburg and up to Mount Gaylord, and then you come back. Well, if you've ever driven that or if you've rode it on your bike, you know you're driving up, if you're coming back, you're riding, in Mountainburg, you're in this dip at this valley, and it's this huge hill, and it's horrible. <laughs> and I haven't done it in a long time, but it's horrible for good reason. And I, when I work out, when I do things athletically, I always guzzle water like another other. So always, when I would do that ride, I've only done it a couple times, get to that point, and my water bottles are empty. They're running on dry. But I know, up on top of that hill, there's a convenience station that has water. And so no matter how bad it's hurting in the moment, and with my dad, there is no stopping, and he will leave me and probably not come back and get me, I know that is endurance inspired by hope. And that is what the Christian life is, right? That when we're going through hardship, when we're experiencing pain, when things don't seem to be working out, we realize the bad is truly bad. It can truly be horrible at times. We can go through grief. We can go through struggles. We can go through all that pain. But we have a hope that far outweighs what we go through now. We have a hope that pulls us through those times. Sometimes pulls us as a dead body through those times to where we know Christ is taking us. And so we have that steadfastness of hope when we know the truth of who Christ is. It keeps us going. And because of that, all of these things, a work of faith, a labor of love, a steadfastness of hope, this is the, the changed life that Paul sees or hears about in these Thessalonians. That he knows with confidence, as he says, that when he came and preached the gospel, it was not just words, but it came with power and with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because that is how people are changed. Is that the power of the Holy Spirit works on someone from the inside out and they are transformed, they're regenerated. And so when Paul looks back, he says, I know with conviction, with that firm belief this is true, this is who you are. Why? Because your faith is sounding forth. And people see that changed life. And one of those indicators of that changed life is that they become imitators of Paul and the missionaries, but also the Lord. 
that when they came and they preached the gospel, these people looked at their life and where they saw Jesus Christ, they said, we are going to imitate that. And they sought to seek to be imitators of Paul. And then because they were imitators of Paul, they were imitators of Christ himself. You know, we know that as humans, we are natural imitators. You hang around people, you start talking like people. You hang around people, you start thinking the same way they think. If you have any kids, you know this is true, they are imitators. They look around and they, and they, and they, they imitate what they see. I mean, I, I just have a nine-month-old, this uh, uh, Theo, and just the other day he picks up a hairbrush and he can barely control his hands, but yet somehow he picks up a hairbrush and wants to try to comb his hair because he's seen that happen. He's an imitator, born imitator. And so the question is, what walking in faith before us who have led us in faith, who are more mature in the faith, and that we look towards them, and as we look towards them, we see Christ changing a person's life or leading a person's life, and so we start imitating the Lord himself through that. That we're called to be imitators of the faithful. That we model our life on those who have gone before us. This can sometimes be viewed as the chain of faith or the, the this change of discipleship that each individual Christian is a link in a chain. The one in front of you is the one who came before, maybe who led you to Christ or you looked towards that kind of gave you understanding of what it means to be a Christian and you're linked to that person. But then there should be people who now are looking towards you and you become a link in the chain, this chain of faith that stretches throughout history as people follow Christ and people look towards them for understanding what it means to follow Christ. Christ. So they're imitators of the faithful, but that's, they're not just imitators when, because they thought Paul and Silas and Timothy were cool, but they were imitators because they recognized the truth of what they brought and spoke. Because as Paul says, that they received the gospel in affliction. So they, didn't, they didn't receive the gospel as, as hey, what's this going to do for me? Is this going to give me a lot of job? prospects? Is this going to be a, a, a good networking gig for me? Is this affliction? That they just they actually very well witnessed the affliction that might happen as their fellow townspeople rose up and drove Christians into the marketplace to accuse them of upsetting all of society, that Paul and Silas had to flee. They, wish, they witnessed the, the affliction that could happen as someone stays true to the faith, but they received their faith in affliction, knowing that this is true, not even just, not just when it's easy, and not just what we, they got from it, but it's true in that they actually walk in the same steps as Christ as he suffered for people. But with that affliction, they also receive joy in the Holy Spirit. you got to love how Paul puts that together, this affliction and joy. This idea that even in affliction, this affliction that might happen in the, in, to the body, this affliction that they might experience in this life, they have a joy of the Holy Spirit, a joy that is far greater than the affliction they receive, a joy because they know the truth, a joy that they actually know the one and have a relationship with the one who made them to have a relationship with him, a joy of being complete, of satisfaction, a joy of having the comfort that, that far, uh, far overcomes anything else in life. This is a joy that can only come from the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit connects us to Christ and who we were made to be. And so even in affliction, receiving an affliction, knowing that the Spirit lives in them, connecting them to Christ, and they know the truth 
of what they were made for. Kind of even speaks to us as Christians of are we joyful in who we are in Christ? When people think of, of Christians, of believers, is joy one of the first words that comes to people's minds? Now, this, this convicts me pretty heavily because I am by nature you know, a pretty morose person. I'm, I'm like, I'm, I, I, I have a baseline of about a two, all right? It takes a lot to kind of move me in that direction. But one of the things that should move me and does move me is the fact that I know who Jesus Christ is. Not only that, I don't just know who he is, but the Holy Spirit connects me to who he is. The Holy Spirit provides union with me in Christ and so that I had died, my sin died, my old nature died on that cross, and when he rose, my new nature rose with him, and that's who I am in Christ, and I am joyful about that because I still struggle in this life and there's so many things going on in this life, but if I didn't have Christ, I could not imagine where I would be or what I would be. And so I have this joy, and we too should have this joy as we are imitators of Christ, of the Lord, as we look towards other faithful people to help sound for. Because that's what happened with these Christians in Thessalonica, is that they now become examples for the people of what it means to be faced. He says, they became an example to all believers. And how did that work? He says, Paul says, it's when the word of the Lord sounded forth from them, when your faith has gone forth as examples, that people have looked at these believers and they say, we know kind of who you were before, but now we see this and we see the fact that you are changed. You now become examples. That these one people now who look towards Paul and Silas and Timothy as for, for uh, examples to imitate them, now they are examples of what it means to follow the Lord, what it means to believe in Christ. And what, are the, what, does, what do they see is that they practice hospitality, that they love the Christian people. Paul says this, for they received the, re, the report concerning us, the kind of reception we had among you. That one of the ways their word of the Lord sounded forth and how their faith had gone forth is that people recognized that this community of faith welcomed and received the people of God. They received Paul, they received Timothy, they encouraged them, they built them up. They were a people of hospitality, that they loved the people of God, that they had been changed at that point, and so they become examples of the faith because they look to turn from God to God from idols to serve the living and true God. They turned from idols to serve the living and true God. I love how one commentator, John Stott, put it like this. He says, It would be difficult to exaggerate how radical is the change of allegiance which is implied by turning from idols to the living and true God. For idols are dead. God is living. Idols are false. God is true. Idols are many. God is one. Idols are visible and tangible. God is invisible and intangible. Beyond the reach of sight and touch, idols are creatures, the work of human hands. God is the creator of the universe and all humankind. And then he adds, and the Thessalonians could themselves see Mount Olympus, about 50 miles south of their city, where the Greek gods were supposed to live. That's the context of this, that these people 
who might have even worshipped some, some fake gods that lived on this mountain 50 miles south of the city, had turned from death, had turned from things that are not alive, things that were deluding their minds, things that were dragging them into the abyss, and they turned from that to the living and true God. Believer. For when a believer who does not know Christ, when, for when, when someone who does not know Christ becomes a believer, when someone is lost in sin and in darkness and rebel against the God, they are doomed. They're heading to a place apart from God for all of eternity. That is their destiny. That is the, what, the end of the road for them. But when they come to know who Jesus Christ is, when they are changed, they are brought into his kingdom of light and forever changed. And they turn from falsehood to truth. And when they turn, they turn with that purpose to serve the living and true God. They turn to live for him now. But not only that, as they're serving the living and true God, they're doing it with expectation. Why? Because they await for his son from heaven. They wait for the Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who deliver us from the wrath to come. Paul places the timeline of these Christians right where we are, and there's this idea that we live in that moment that Christ has died for us, he has risen for us, he's ascended for us, he intercedes for us, and we have in him, but we live still expectantly, trusting that he's coming back. That we live with that in our, in our vision. That is the, the hope that awaits us. That we'll be with him, whether we're called home before he comes back or if he comes home before we're called home, we trust and wait that he is returning to set everything right. He's returning to spare us from the wrath of God that God has against sin. He's coming to save us. He's already saved us, but now we wait for it to be completed, to be finished, for us to be glorified with him, and we wait with that hope. But when we wait, we're not just waiting as we sit on our bus and we're saying, hey, it's going to happen. No, because he already described that we turn from the dead idols to serve the living and true God. And so as we wait, we serve God. As we wait, we seek to follow God. As we wait, we seek to put what God has given us into action in our lives so that we now can become examples of faith and we can let our faith sound forth. And we're called to know this truth of who God is, of who Christ is and how he saves us, and then live in light of that, that they were now examples to all the world of what it means to be a Christian. So we can ask ourselves when you read, is this true for us? And I just, I just have some points I think that help drive us to apply this to our lives. And one is the fact that we should all, all be as link in a discipleship chain, that we should have people we lean on, look to, respect, that speak truth in our lives, but we should also have people we are investing in and telling the truth to, and we are link in that chain. And so we should be all involved in a natural discipleship of what it means to be a Christian, looking to people we imitate, as well as we encouraging people to look to us as we imitate Christ, that we are all involved in that being part of the community of the faith 
living out what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And then we also should live out our faith. And again, our faith is just not a private thing. It's a personal thing, yes, but it's not private. It should be lived out wherever we are. Which we can ask ourselves, do people see that changed life in us? Can we look back and see how we progressed in who Christ is and how it's been changing us bit by bit? And we're called to live out our faith. And then in all of this, we depend upon Christ. We hope upon him. Knowing that it's not us who works this, not us that somehow, somehow can make us. And so we depend upon him. And we depend upon him and we wait for him. We wait for him to pull us and finish the work that he started in us. We wait for him as he is continually working us so that we can be his people in this world. We wait for him to depend upon him, giving us hope that we can cling to no matter what happens in this life. We have the hope that comes in Christ. So we let your faith sound forth. And as we walk in Christ, as he grows us to be his people, the roar of his church should be heard through every community it's planted in. That people should see the echoing of our faith in our families, in our jobs, in our neighborhoods, as we live out the truth of who Christ is and how he has saved us and made us new. Let your faith sound forth. Join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Not only your word, but the word that points to the gospel, the truth of who you are and how you've saved us. Lord, I just ask that you continue to grow us, continue to work in us, continue to make us real, realize the, the truthfulness of this change that you are still working on us as we seek to honor you and follow you. Lord, I pray for everyone here, everyone who calls River Valley home, everyone who knows the truth of the gospel, that we can let that gospel saturate our entire being so that it echoes in our life. I pray for anyone who does not know the reality of who Jesus Christ is, that they can see the truth of him and want it in their life. They can want it changing them. I pray for them that they can look towards Christ and know you. I pray that they ask someone around them who knows Christ to help them follow. Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Adam. Feel free to stand with us and worship for this last song.